I don't have a lot of time. Can we just get right in the word today? Let me just say one thing real quick. Live stream, good to see you. Grand Blank House Campus, good to see you. And uh, how many guys think Pastor Carl is a pretty good preacher? Did a great job last week. I told him this morning, I said, you know, nobody wants to get on the stage, if you will, after, was it animals and children? And, uh, and no one wants to preach after Pastor Carl. <laughs> Literally, like my staff was like, when, when are we preaching in the order? It's like, well, who's after Pastor Carl? And no one wants to preach after him, including me. Amen. So I really enjoy it when the Bible and science come together. And we're spending the summer studying brain physiology, but also the scriptures concerning being transformed by the renewing of our minds. The mind being that, that nebulous, non-physical, and the brain being this physical organ and how the mind affects the physiology of the brain. And, and I, love, I love that science sees the amazing things that God has done. And they say, how and, and why and when and where? And they start kind of doing their, their test tubes and their boiling over, you know, mad scientist laboratory experiments. They start slicing and dicing and making Julian fries out of human tissue. And, and they, they come to these conclusions like, wow, this is really amazing. I, I like, too, that, you know, science sees it and asks these questions. But the Bible just says it and doesn't seem to explain it. You ever notice that one? And then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on water. The scientist in me goes, how? Did, did, did somebody, was this a miracle of water density? Did somebody suddenly throw a thousand pounds of cornstarch into the Sea of Galilee, thereby causing a liquid to become a solid like we did this last week and put blue food coloring on it? So that's a wonderful thing to get out of all the carpet and all the seats and out of your cars afterwards. Whoever was in charge of that one, thank you so much or the exercising of patience that we had to do. <clears throat> but the Bible states what it is without giving a lot of explanation. So it's fun when the Bible says something, science goes, hey, this is true, and we get to observe it and go, I understand now. So today we're going to be talking about free will and what's called the MPA, our multiple perspective advantage that God built into the physiology of our brains and our God-given ability to choose. How many of you guys know you have a choice? That's interesting. Let's get into this. Let's, let's visit our scientific community first. This is Dr. Caroline Leaf, a well-known, world-renowned neuroscientist. She says this. By the way, she's a believer. She says, God has created us with the ability to stand outside of ourselves, observe our own thinking, consult with God, and change the brain physiology built around a negative or toxic thought, or even grow a new set of physiologies around a new healthy thought. This provides a positive neurochemical rush along with the structural changes that improve your health and peace. Now, how many of you guys, that's a lot of words, but you got it. Basically, when you choose what you think about, you literally change the physiology of the brain. The brain then triggers things at a genetic level and an epigenetic level where, where your genes, and you say, well, that guy's just got good genes. That's why he's, he's thin and in shape. This guy's bad genes. That's why he's, you know, he's got a hole in his genes and, and he doesn't have a hole in his genes. It's a joke and nobody got it. Thank you. And, and we end up with this, with this understanding. How many of you know there's genes, but there's actually something called epigenetics. So that's above the genes. When, when we have the thoughts that God wants us to have, there are signals, biochemical signals sent to our physiology that unzips certain portions of our DNA and tells it to begin to produce positive chemicals, neurochemicals, um, changes, health, etc. We told you the first week that somewhere between 75 and 98% of disease had its genesis, had its beginning. That sometimes it's environmental, but sometimes, like the vast majority of times, according to the Harvard School of Medicine, 75 to 98% of the time, the genesis of sickness is in our minds, uh, the overstress. The, the confusion, the fear, the doubt, the PTSD, the, and when that gets into us, it hyperadrenalizes our system, burns out certain things, we become susceptible to illness. Did you get that? 
right? So you might look at this, this statement she says, and so, so what? Well, so what is this? The Bible says what our neuroscientist just said. It says you're not a slave, not a slave to your biology. The God spirit that we have that lives within us does not make us slaves again to fear. Does that sound familiar? We're no longer slaves. We're no longer servants of this world, but now be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What about this one? You're not a victim of your environment. You are more than a conqueror through what? Through Jesus, literally. The Bible is, is saying what science is saying, and science is saying, hey, guess what? We discovered something new. And the Bible goes, it's kind of fun, right? So you have a free will. You get to choose. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Today, I put before you life and death. Now, I counsel you to choose life, right? That's a free will. And so you're choosing who you're becoming in a physical, emotional, and spiritual way. Listen, this is a Dr. Caroline Leaf. It's also a Craig Rochelle. But we also know this to be true, this quote, that your life right now, you're heading in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Choose this day. I set before you life and death. Choose this day, life. When, when we decide, and our life is not like being healthy or living to be 120, we all realize we all, we're all under a terminal diagnosis. Sooner or later, the last survey I saw, 10 out of 10 Americans are planning on dying someday. The data's pretty strong there, right? When, when Jesus talks about life, I am the way, the truth, the life, he's not talking about wheat germ and, and you know, non-GMO products. He's talking about the inside of us, that eternal part of us, our soul and our spirit. Choose life. You are, your life is heading right now in the direction of your strongest thoughts. If this is the worst day of your life, so sick of this, I'm so mad at her, he's such a, they never, they always, the government, don't get me started on taxes, how many of you guys know that guy's not going to stay healthy for long because he's not healthy now? Something is unhealthy on the inside of him that will be expressed through his genetics, through his physiology, at a biological, cellular level. We are building proteins in our brain that command our body to get sick when we don't think the way Jesus has commanded us to think. Okay, so what's this look like in our brains? Did you know that there's enough electricity in your brain to power your cell phone? Literally, there's not a cell phone on the planet that cannot be powered by the amount of energy produced by the human brain in a day. So there's electric movement, and it's recordable through the, the EEGs and so forth, and it starts in the prefrontal cortex. So right behind your eyebrows, there's these beautiful little things, and in the parietal cortex at the top of your head, and from seven to ten seconds prior to a decision being made, we see this, the part of your brain talking to the part of your brain. What's happening is this. The part of your brain taking in this new choice, this new thought, this crossroad, this information, like you are right now. Right now when I say to you, hey, your brain is a physical organ that your mind can do microsurgery on, and you can think naturally differently according to Scripture. If you work on your mind, your brain will follow. You're going to kind of wait, is that true? So our, our, our prefrontal cortex is taking that in. We're going, huh, I wonder if that's true. And at the same time, our parietal lobe is saying, let's compare it to other information, other experiences, and there's this conversation going on inside of you. Romans chapter 7 makes a lot more sense when you understand the human brain. Romans chapter 7 says, the good I want to do, I don't do, and the, the, the evil I don't want to do, I, I do. And you're like, try that one next time you get pulled over by a police officer. Hey, you're speeding. No, it wasn't me. It was me. Uh, we need backup on Owen Road in front of Arby's, right? 
So a choice then is made. When, when, your, when your information collecting center compares it to your information data storage, if you will, using computer terms, there's this interaction. What do we believe? What do we choose? Which direction will we go? I've never been here before. What's the right thing? And we make a decision for seven to 10 seconds. We can see this part of our brain talking to this part of our brain until a conclusion is reached and language is formed and we say, we're going to eat at Arby's after church today. That's nobody laugh because nobody eats at Arby's anymore, right? <laughs> hey, they have the meat, but they don't have customers. So, so what is free will? We use the phrase free will. It's a theological term. Free will, the original language means this. The word, I didn't get the word out, but this is what free will means. It's the capacity to control one's actions in the face of competing desires. So with our free will, with our parietal lobe, we, we choose and refine our thoughts. As we do, hear me, this is important. The mind is telling the brain to physically change the, the protein chains, the neuron pathways, the uh, basal ganglia, the various anatomical structures of our brain. We're literally tearing down something that said, I didn't, I believe something and it wasn't true, and we're building something physiologically. Everybody say physiologically. This isn't philosophically. This is science. <laughs> science tells us that when we think this is true, we think this is real, and then suddenly something says it's not, the protein chains that made that an automatic conclusion are torn down and we are transformed by the renewing of our mind as our brains re-examine and rebuild a, a new reflex. Uh, I said this uh, years ago, but I remember 30-some um, years ago, some idiot put a 45 caliber 1911 Colt on my hip, and they called me a military police officer. How many guys would have a hard time seeing that today as true, right? And, and yet, so to this day, though, you walk up behind me and go, Jim, I'll, I'll do this. Something start, I'll do this. Why? Because 32 years ago, they kept sneaking up behind me <laughs> and they trained me to reach for that gun and pull it out and get ready to fight. Why? Because it was warfare. I was trained for war and a time of peace. And when bullets start flying, all you have is your reflexes. All you have is your training. So they drill and drill and drill and drill. I was with an airline pilot uh, last week. And we stayed with him and just a wonderful guy. And I said, what's the scariest thing ever happened to you? I'm getting ready to fly tomorrow. So let, tell, me, tell me the scariest thing. So the wonderful thing to do, right? What's that? He said, oh, I hit birds. I'm like, ooh. So you're like, what, what's that guy's name? Sully or what is it? Sullivan? Yeah. So yeah. He goes, well, no. He said, he happened at 3,000 feet. Mine happened at the go, no-go mark. I'm like, okay, keep using words. Go, no-go means now we're going to pull back on the yoke and fly if we don't, we're going to go into the river in front of us. He said, we hit birds right on there. He said, immediately I kicked the rudder because only one engine was firing. The other one blew up. It self-destructed. He said, I hit the rudder. So instead of going this way and going into a dive and dying, he said, I pressed the rudder and we fought it. He said, I got enough altitude, turned around and came back. He said, that was really exciting. So I said, how did, how did you know to kick the rudder? How did you know there was a bird? How did you know? I, I mean, that all happened, happened in like seconds. He goes, we trained for that scenario over and over and over and over in a simulator so that when it did happen, it felt just like it felt in the simulator. And my brain, my mind knew exactly what to do. Even though I'd never been there before, I'd been there a thousand times in a simulator. Does this make sense? Think of it this way. How many of you guys know how to ride a bike? Let me see your hand. How many of you guys learned to ride a bike? Nobody comes out of the womb going, give me the bike. What we do is we practice from 5 to 15 minutes a day, depending on how long it takes us to bleed and to talk ourselves out of trying again. But if we do that, we try to ride a bike, and we try to ride, and we get, we two, get two pedals, and then we tip over, then two or three or four pedals, we tip over, then we start pedaling, 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 and somebody says, stop, and we realize we really don't know how, and then we stop. 
right? And then we pedal, pedal, pedal. We know how to stop, pedal, pedal, we know how to stop. But then we come to a corner. We don't know how. We fall over. Within about 28 days of spending 5 to 15 minutes a day trying to learn how to bike, not only do you know how to ride a bike, you'll never forget for the rest of your life. Why? Because the frontal part of our brain was going, this is a new stimuli. I, I, I don't know what to do. I, I'm not quite sure how this works. I'm, not, I'm just trying to try. Bam. Oh, that hurt. Oh, bam. Oh, that hurt. Your brain's like, stop, you idiot. Stop. But you see other people on bikes, so you know it's possible. And you're, you're trying, you're trying. And eventually you do it, and you're so proud of yourself. And all of a sudden, oxytocin and all these different wonderful hormones are flying around your body. And you, my friend, can ride a bike. Now, put down a bike for 20 years. But if you pick it up again, guess what? It's just like riding a bike. What happened was the front part of your brain was trying, 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 trying. Once you learn how to do it, all that information moves to the back of your brain and subconsciously, you're not thinking about balance. You're not thinking about speed, velocity, turning, bleeding. You're thinking about going to the candy store. Isn't that amazing? Remember when you first drove a car? So do your parents. I promise you, so do your parents. Right? In other words, hear me. When your mind is healthy, it produces a consistent healthy series of choices, which produces a healthy body, soul, and spirit, right? But an unhealthy mind, that which has been programmed poorly, that one, as soon as it's offended, throws a right hook. As soon as it's jealous, it throws a fit. As soon as it doesn't get its way, as soon as whatever happens, an unhealthy mind produces consistent unhealthy choices, which produce an unhealthy body, soul, and spirit. So what does the Bible have to say about our minds. It says a lot about it. Matter of fact, I'll just say this in Philippians, our professor of thoughtology, the Apostle Paul is going to lead us through some great stuff. Let's just start with Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. It really tells us we need to think about what we think about. We need to preload, everybody say preload, our brain. We need to think about these things, dwell on these things. The Bible uses the word meditate on. Now, meditation has become something a little far eastern. That's not true. That, that belongs to God, that deep thinking, but uh, it, it belongs to God. Now, meditation today kind of means to empty your mind. That's not what the word meditation means in the Bible. It means to fill your mind. Why? Because our mind tells our brains what to build, how to build it, so that when the stimuli comes, we're prepared to react with the reflexes of Jesus rather than the reflexes of our, of our flesh. You guys still here? So this is what he says. He goes, think about this, guys. Finally. How many of you guys love it when the preacher says, Finally. Most sinners feel that way. All right. <laughs> Finally, brothers, don't think about being a sinner. That, that was very helpful. Wasn't it? Thanks, Jim. Brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, please put it on Facebook so people can think about such things. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is saying something really scientifically relevant. He's saying, choose your thoughts. You have a free will. You have a prefrontal cortex. You have a medial cortex. You, you have the, the, the DNA. You have the ability to not just be a positive person. You have the ability to actually do microsurgery on that which is tearing you down and tear it down before it beats you, right? It says this. It says you should build a healthy series of protein chains, neuron pathways, burn, if you will. Electricity is as lazy as water. It finds the path of least resistance and then takes it. If we have neural pathways for positive thoughts that have positive outcomes, I don't just mean positive, I mean biblical truth, right? When we are believing the truth and the truth is established in our minds, the truth then is established in our biology. And when lies come, truth within us says that's not right. It's funny, sometimes we have this part of our brain, the limbic brain, it's very deep in our brain. Um, some have referred to it as the reptilian brain or the ancient brain, but it doesn't have the ability to even express language, but it makes a conclusion. That's the one that decides whether or not, and we talked about the amygdala the other day, and I'm not sure if you guys even care about this. How many of you guys know your pastor is a little bit of a science nerd, just enough to be dangerous? 
As long as you speak with confidence, people go, he knows what he's talking about. He said amygdala. <laughs> I call it the amygdala. I don't, I don't know. You know what I mean? But, or the Amy, the Amy Digla, right? It's whatever it is. But literally, when, when that hits, have you ever been on like a, a sales floor and a salesman walks in and says, hey, can I help you with anything today? And there's a party that goes, get away from me, dude. And, and I would ask you why. Because the next guy walks up, hey, is there anything I can help you find? Yeah, I'm looking for a pair of jeans. I'm looking for a Ford F-150. I'm looking for a new house. And there's an immediate trust. You ever experienced that? And you, you say, why didn't you trust that guy? They'll say, I don't know. Just didn't trust him. I just had a feeling. Why? Because the limbic brain doesn't have the ability to create words. It just has the ability to make a decision. And the same time, when we come to this place where we choose our thoughts, we know what's true, we believe what's real. We talked about the importance two weeks ago of an absolute truth that you can stand on the scriptures so that anything else comes that way. We are programmed, if you will, literally like a physical machine, our mind's still above our matter, but the matter is our servant now in saying yes to Jesus. We build healthy protein chains, we build neural pathways, we replace toxic thoughts, and literally what Paul says in Romans 12 too, we are transformed by the renewing of our mind. Our physiology changes, trans- transformed by the renewing of our non-physical mind. So I've heard people say, well, I've tried this before, and it wasn't, it didn't work. Anybody ever started a diet? Just out of curiosity, anybody ever finished a diet? Anybody started a workout routine? Anybody decided not to cuss anymore? The room got awfully quiet as if the conviction fell, Right? People say, but what if it doesn't come easy? Well, it's not going to come easy. Why? Because we're, we're tearing down physiology. Just like, just like telling a fat cell not to be there anymore, telling a brain cell not to be there anymore, it's very difficult. But it is possible, right? Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, or though we, we live in the world, we don't wage war like the world does. The weapons we fight with are not swords and spears and chariots and knives. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Everybody say strongholds. A stronghold in the original language basically is this, this place that has been built up over time. So you would understand that from a fort, from a, a fortress, a, a stronghold, where, where people took bricks or rocks or stones or, and they built it up so they had a high place. Superior force from an elevated position usually wins the fight, right? This is, this is true of arrows. This is true of bullets. This is true of nuclear weapons. Superior force, elevated position, wins the fight. So every, every army wants to be on the hill with superior firepower pointing down. That We want the enemy to charge up the hill like Fredericksburg, like Gettysburg. You guys still here? Okay. So the same thing is true here. So the enemy in our minds will build up these strongholds, these strong places. They're often created by pain. They're often created by disappointment. They're often created by things that are hard to explain. The where was God wins. We'll get to this next week, by the way. We'll start tearing down the... The continuity of narrative argument, the consonant dissonance on the 4th of July will be on the field. Hopefully the whole neighborhood gets to hear all about it. But how many of you guys know God can redeem your entire story? He does, doesn't forgive sins. He redeems the story. He owns the whole story, right? So um, a built-up place, that which over time became true but is not. You ever had something you believe was true and it wasn't? Yeah, I need to be quiet again. You ever put a shot collar on a dog? I never have. I remember uh, Pat Brady, who's retiring today, by the way, from Church on the Street, one of the churches we planted years ago. He and Teresa are retiring today. Give them your congratulations when you see them. But they, they left for a couple of weeks to go to Hawaii because, you know, pastors make so much money, and it's just ludicrous. And he used to be the vice president of sales for Hewlett Packard, and then he retired to become a pastor, and now he's broke. So welcome to the club. But he, uh, <laughs> he, uh, 
he had these two dogs. I forget the names, but they were black labs. They loved mud. They, and they loved to run away, but they had shock collars on them. But they didn't have like the, the collar, like little, they crossed that line, it shocks them automatically. You had to nail them. So I remember they got out. Sam and Maya were their names. Oh, oh it just bothered me thinking about it. But I remember they got out, and I had my car, my little car key fob, and they got out of the house, and they looked at me like, we're out of here. I said, you do, and I'll, I'll lock the doors on my car. Because I didn't have the key fob that nailed them. I had the one that locked my Ford. <laughs> and so I said, get back here. They're like, oh, okay, they came back. I mean, you know, they were afraid of something that didn't exist. They believed a liar. <laughs> and they believed my lie. One more step, and I'm setting off the car alarm. And they came back. Okay, we'll go back in the house. Thank God. <laughs> Hey, good news, your dogs are both dead. You just don't want to say that, right? So Paul uses this metaphor. He actually uses the word demolish. We demolish arguments. And again, the original language on this, an argument is a reckoning, a reasoning, or a judgment that is contrary to truth. It's not I'm arguing about which is better, Ohio State or, or, or Michigan, because Dan's in Cancun and can't be here to defend himself. Clearly, Michigan is better than Ohio State. Beautiful. No objection in the room. I love that for once, right? And a, re- a reckoning, a reasoning, a judgment that's contrary to truth. And when the neural pathways are built to carry lies, they literally need to be demolished. Or our reflex will be there to go for a gun, to go for sharp tongue, to go for anger, to go for jealousy, to go for depression, to go back to that moment of trauma and live as if it's real in our lives today. It looks like this. The lie is identified. The com- corresponding truth is identified. Lies then are torn down. We see this in Matthew chapter 4 where Jesus is talking to the devil, right? We talked about this a few weeks ago. And then truth replaces the lie. For the sake of time, let me, let me hurry up here. Every pretension, Paul says, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Pretension is a word we don't use. Pretentious, we might know, or pretend we know. A pretension in this context is simply this. That which pretends to be something that's not really true. If I were up here pretending to be Arnold Schwarzenegger, you would see through the pretense, through me pretending to be him. But some people can pretend better than others. Some lies pretend to be truth better than others. That which pretends to be God's truth, but is actually opposed to God's truth. This goes back to the Garden of Eden. When we're in Genesis chapter 3, and we've got, you know, the devil shows up, and there's Eve and Adam hanging out. And, hey, is it true that God said you're not allowed to eat from any of the trees? And Eve speaks up as well. God says we can eat from all the trees, but, but this one, well, why can't you eat from that one? Well, the, he said that at the day that we can't eat it and we can't touch it, which was never said in Genesis chapters 1 or 2, God said that to Adam. Adam evidently put an extra little thing on there for Eve because, you know, she's going to touch it. So, don't, hey, don't even touch it. And she thought that was what God said. How many of you guys know that when you put your faith in something God didn't say as if he said it, you're in trouble? So she put her faith in what God didn't say, and that was all the leverage the devil needed to say, oh, that's not true. No, actually, you can touch it. Go touch it. She touched it, and when they saw that it was good for, for you know, seeking wisdom, it was good, you know, they're, they're playing with it, nobody's dying, everything's to be okay, then the lie becomes more believable, because actually what's happening is God is keeping the very best stuff from you. Matter of fact, there's something better that, that even that God has for you, you should just please yourself, apart from God's commandments, he's actually making your life less enjoyable, less desirable, the, the real pleasure's on the other side of the revelation, to liberate yourself from religion, to liberate yourself from this confining God. And they bought it, and we've been paying for it ever since. A pretension that says, no, there is no, I, I, I'm more true. I feel so bad for the kids that are, 
are raised in well-meaning churches and well-meaning communities, but they're in that philosophy 101 class at 18 years old. It's the freshman's the opening day, and the, and the professor's job is to tear down everything they've ever believed so they can begin to fill in those blanks. I, I can't imagine a lifetime of your father's religion, your mother's religion, your church's beliefs that never became yours that are so easily replaced because they weren't who you are. They, they were the community you belong to's beliefs. That makes sense? The philosophy teacher goes, oh, what about this? And challenge that. And, and, and these poor minds that aren't prepared for that conversation then get destroyed. Their faith gets destroyed because it was never really their faith. It was the faith of someone. How many guys know your kids need their own faith? Let me just say that. Your kids need their own experience. Why we do VBS? Why all the lights? Why all that? Because kids need their own faith. They need to raise their hand, pray to their Jesus, if you will, which is Jesus, and give their life, ask for forgiveness of sins. My faith doesn't help you. Only your faith can help you. That makes sense? So listen, every pretension, it sets it up like the knowledge of God. We just tear it down. It says we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We can literally take a thought. Wait, wait, wait. Let me just step outside of that for seven to ten seconds and take a look. Is that really true? Let me compare it to Scripture. I have a conversation with God. No, that's not true. No, you're not allowed to go into my soul. You're not allowed to go into my DNA. You're not allowed to unwrap adrenal glands. You're not allowed to create panic. You're not allowed to create depression. You're not allowed to even tell me who I am standing on the stage leading worship. You are allowed to submit yourself to Jesus Christ. I take you captive. If you're obedient, you can pass. If not, I will hold you here until you die. But I will not become this lie because I have the truth tucked away. Listen, if you want freedom, everybody say freedom. I'll listen you guys are brave heart guys. Freedom. You'd say it louder if I pulled out your intestines while I did it. I'm just saying. I saw it. If what you want is freedom, then what you need is victory. But freedom comes after victory, and victory comes after war. You got to fight for your thoughts. Well, you know, the Bible's so confusing. That's a bad thought. That's a pretension. That's pretending to be true. But we had children who were five years old, trash in the joint with blue food color stained goopock or whatever that was called. They were learning about Jesus. They, didn't, they weren't intimidated by scripture. They read it. They believed it. They trusted it. Physiology has been made. The spirit of God has come into their spirit. They've been born again. They are new creations in Christ Jesus. Like we, we have to understand this. If you want victory, you got to fight for it. Because there's a war. This isn't Miami Beach. This is Omaha Beach. And every day we turn on a TV. Every day we see a billboard. Every day we listen to a radio. Every day we get on Facebook. Every day we hear anything that conflicts with the knowledge of God. You got to fight that stuff off with the knowledge of God. If you don't know the Bible, you're just devil bait. You attract your own defeat. That's really encouraging, Jim. Thanks so much. Glad I came to church. Good thing you already took the offering because I don't feel like giving now. But it's true. My, my job is never to entertain you. My job is never to make you feel good about yourself. My job is to lead you to where God is growing some green grass and has some still water. But it's up to you to eat it and it's up to you to drink it. And the pre-chewed food of your shepherd is not enough to bring you to the health that God wants you to be at. You got to study the Word of God. You got to study. You have to study the Word of God. You have to pray. You have to dwell on it, meditate on it. It has to be a part of you because when the challenge comes, there'll be a reflex or there'll be a reflex. We need a reflex. It's time to go to war. Let me give you an example. I'll let you go. Piano guy, join me if you would. How many guys know who that is? The debt Nazi himself. He hates debt. 
And you know why? Because there's a pretense about debt in our society that debt is normal. And debt is a vehicle that is your servant where you can get things today without having to wait for it. That's the pretense. It pretends to be true. There's enough truth in it because the, the, about $3 billion, with a B, $3 billion is spent per year advertising products that we don't need, that we can't afford to impress people that we don't like. Three billion. They're so good at it. I mean, so that our brains, we see it enough, 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 enough. What was false to one generation becomes true to the next. Why? Because it's there, it's there, it's there, it's there. And we see all the statistics. You know, it's gone from 5% to 7% and now 18%. And now you're in the minority if you believe this. What happened was if we just tell a lie often enough, often enough, often enough, and there's nothing to confront a lie, the lie becomes true. Just saying, right? But what's the truth? If that's a lie, if debt is a lie, then what's the truth? The Proverbs 22, 7 says the borrower is slave to the lender. Well, I'm no slave. Like, how many hours a week do you work before the first dollar belongs to you? And what is the definition of slavery? It's the forced work, the forced servitude of one to benefit another without benefiting the worker. Are we slaves? If we have debt, how many hours? If somebody have to work 47 hours a week, 49 hours a week, and then we get to earn the first dollar that we ask you to do whatever we want with. We're not free, we're slaves because of debt. And the Bible, the contradicting truth of that pretense is that God wants us to be debt free. Oh, no man, nothing. I know it's bad English, but it's good preaching. Oh, no man, nothing except the debt, the ongoing debt of love. So now, if we could, what if we took Dave Ramsey's face off of there? Because he looks angry anyway. I love that guy. You're stupid. You know what I mean? I love that about him. But for 13, I'm sorry, nine weeks we meet to go over the principles. We, we compare truth with lie. We're seeing physiology tear down. We're watching physiology be built up. We're in community where we're, we're totally starting to listen to each other. We're celebrating things as a culture. We're starting to figure it out. And within nine weeks, the last class we did, you know what? They, they gave up $101,000 with the credit card offers in two months. $101,000 of credit card offers in two months. They paid off, I think it was $23,000 in debt. We cut up a bunch of credit cards. What happened was something that was true nine weeks ago is no longer true today. Why? Because we found the truth and it started setting us free. Same thing, now take out the word debt, put in the word post-traumatic stress, put in the word anxiety, put in the word depression, put in the word obesity, put in anything that is true about you that God did not say about you. And when you confront that lie with truth, it'll fight for its life. But if you meditate on the truth, just like learning how to ride a bike. I didn't know how to ride a bike. And there was a lot of scars. There was a lot of blood. There was a lot of bactine. For those old enough to know what bactine is, there was a lot of bactine. I'm just simply telling you this. Please hear me. You'll learn how to ride a bike for Jesus. You'll learn how to love your wife. You'll learn how to raise your kids. You'll learn how to handle money. You'll learn how to fight anxiety. You'll learn to never be depressed again. You'll learn to be free from all the bondage of the world. How? Because you're going to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now we do this on Thursday night. This Thursday night again, we're going to get together, going to get in small groups, going to go over this in digestible things. We're going to ask some questions. I talk very little. You guys talk very much because it, it doesn't matter what I tell you. It matters what you tell you. So you guys talk about it. Your table's 8, 10 people. You talk. There's food served, 6, 30. 7 o'clock, we get in the Word. At 8 o'clock, it's a hard stop. But I'm telling you, the way to freedom is truth and community. Truth and community. Tell me, anybody that's free, I'll tell you how they got there. They believed truth, and they lived it out in a community that had with it accountability and love and relationship. Nobody gets free on their own. Everybody gets free in community. 
Everybody, we know this. If I want to get sober, I don't sit by myself and say, don't drink, don't drink, don't drink, don't drink. I get with people that are, that are fighting addiction and we talk about the goodness of God and the superior pleasures of heaven and my desire to be a good husband. And we share our victories, we share our defeats, but we share life. And when truth comes into that room, we will be transformed, we'll be set free because we'll think the thoughts we should, not the thoughts of an addict, not the thoughts of lies and deceit and covering my tracks, but the lies of coming out and being clean and telling everybody I know, by the grace of God, I have not drank yet today. You're like, that makes me scared. You said, yet. I've been saying that for 30-some years. I am set free by the blood of Jesus Christ, and I have been transformed by the renewing of my mind, and by His grace, I will never put another drop of alcohol to my lips for the rest of my life. How many of you guys know, no matter what that topic is, debt, depression, anxiety, anger, fear, greed, depravity, porn, anything, anything that has you where you shouldn't be, God has a way for you to get out. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray. Every journey begins with a step. That step's not our foot going in front of the other. That step is a decision we make in our heart to take a journey. And I pray that today, God, you would help us to see, help us to know, help us to hear, help us to obey. There is freedom for the stuff we hidden and told no one about. There is freedom for the stuff that everybody knows about because it's destroyed our lives. There's freedom for the stuff that's just a small thing. It's no big deal. My dad dealt with it. My mom's from my grandmother. It's a big deal. Little foxes destroy the vineyard. And I pray in the name of Jesus, we wouldn't hold up lies as if they're truth and excuse them. We'd hold up truth and we compare it to our lies and we'd replace the lies with truth. In community, standing on the foundation of your word, a shield made out of faith, a sword made out of truth, God. And we fight the good fight of faith and arrive exactly where you've called us to be now, I pray. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. 30 seconds, I'll say you're done. But you're here today and you're like, Jim, I'm not right with God. I'm not. I Listen, it's so important to your physiology. It's so important to your eternity. It's so important to your soul that you don't just let this moment go without somehow acknowledging it with action. Something happens when we tell our brains to electrically charge our head to nod in agreement, to electrically charge our, our, our heads to bow in humility, to electrically charge our, our, our hands to raise in faith. There's something that happens in our neuro. It's the first step. That's why you're baptized in water. It's inescapable. It surrounds you. There's a difference in temperature. There's a public display. That's what we do next week. Listen, there's something. If Jesus could just, you know, do whatever he wanted to do, he'd just do whatever he wanted to do. But he told us things to do that, that cemented decisions we made on the inside of us because they came out of us. Does this make sense? Today in this room, right here, right now, you're like, I'm not right with God, but I want to be. I'm not right with God, but today I'm making a decision to accept mercy. I'm making a decision to believe that what Jesus did, dying on that cross was a price that he paid for my soul, for my body, my soul, and my spirit. A gift of great value, great cost has been purchased. My name is written on it, but now it's up to me to walk up to that gift and open it and say it's mine. Heads about, eyes are closed. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in faith. God, today I ask you to change me. I ask you to transform me. I, I ask you to give me grace. I ask you to give me strength to fight a battle, to fight a war and win. I, I pray that I would take the victories you have purchased for me and I would receive them as a gift right now. I get a clean slate. I get a fresh start. I get to be born again because of what you've done and I receive that gift. If that's you all over this room right now, not a moment's hesitation, 
No more doubt, no more fear. Those things are not allowed to rule your life. Today, you're not joining a church. You're not becoming religious. You're standing before your creator saying, I need you. If that's you, raise your hand right now all over this room. I need you. I need you. I need you. You and only you can see me. You and only you. I need you. God bless you. I need you. I need you. Father, I pray for every open heart and every uplifted hand now. Do what only you can do. Take all of our yesterdays. Forgive all that is unusable, all that is waste, and restore all that has been lost. May our testimony from this day forward be about the goodness, grace, power, love, truth of God. May we be transformed, body, soul, and spirit, by the renewing of our minds now. We give it to you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. Amen. Stand to your feet, if you would, please, all over this room. Thanks so much, guys, for being a part of this. I can't believe you spent a week with everybody else's kids and came back for more. You're my heroes. God bless you. We're doing great things. God's doing great things for you. I'm so excited. You are dismissed, but I want you to do this. As you go today, just take your time. Grab a coffee. It's, it's not, uh, I think the ark has already gone by, the flood and all the animals. So enjoy some time, love each other, and we'll see you again soon.